Totally Football Show American Edition. United have been flying all year but have internationals set for departure. It's up, up, and away for Tata Martino and Miguel Amaron. But will that be terminal for Atlanta? Can PDX connect in ATL or will they be grounded? It's MLS Cup time and we're ready for takeoff. Here we go. Hello and welcome to the Totally Football Show American Edition. Joining me today are Venice Beach FC's Tim Walsh. What up? There you go. Excitement there. I like mm. it. And once again, City of Angels FC founder PJ Harrison. Hello. All right, guys. So here we are. It's that time of year again. The MLS Cup final is right around the corner and it's been a great season with a lot of excitement all the way around. Surprises everywhere. And we're down to the final two. The upstarts, Atlanta United, second season in the league, and the 2015 champions, the Portland Timbers. Let's talk about these two teams. I mean, this is, this is something. We recap the season on these two. We have, first off, we'll go with, I would say, considered the underdog in this match, the Portland Timbers. They're a team that kind of... I would say no one really talked about so much throughout the whole season, but as we got close to the playoffs, they started to go on the rise. Their MVP, 2017 MVP, Diego Valeri, started to show up a little bit more, and we're knowing once again this Portland side as the Road Warriors. They've absolutely been fabulous. Going into the playoffs, let's, let's not forget, they actually they punted that last game. It was a whatever. They didn't care about where they ended up. They just knew getting in was the important part, and it has worked well in their favor. Secondly, we have Atlanta United. Second year in MLS. Had a fantastic year last year. This year, maybe even a little bit better. One point, one point out of getting the shield, and they have had success all the way around. An exciting team on and off the field because this this is more than just this Atlanta United team. It's about their whole season, their fan base, everything that they have they have done. And then you talk about on the field. Amaron, Tata Martino, Joseph Martinez, an absolutely fabulous triumvirate that has created a successful atmosphere in Atlanta. Anyone have anything to say about these these two. I mean, this, this is probably this is probably the perfect matchup. Yeah, you know, for an MLS Cup, this is what you want. Yeah, and it's it's kind of the changing of the hipster fan guard as well from Portland to Atlanta. <laughs> I think all the neutrals are leaning towards Atlanta, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, look, we all know the the hipster vibe, the Pacific Northwest. Now all of a sudden, Atlanta's trying to lay claim to it. I'm sure there's probably a lot of people upset. But what I, what I love about this, you're gonna you're talking about the hipsters. You're Portland's traveling base is fantastic so it's going to be interesting when we're talking about seventy thousand plus in atlanta for this matchup how many do you think are going to be portland fans well i i read that there's something like 1.5 percent of ticket allocation to away fans <laughs> so it's going to be slim there the there you go there you go there's the importance of making sure that you have a good run throughout the season because you can have the home field advantage during the mls cup final yeah I, and if you look at the roles of these two teams, 
Portland is, you know, they're the party ruiner. Um, Atlanta has so much going for them. And like you said, they've put on a show on the field and off. I think they've added so much to this league. And I think as a neutral, if you're looking at it, you know, you cannot help but like this Atlanta team. They've entertained. The stadium's absolutely gorgeous. The fan base. Um, I would love to see them cap off this era, this you know opening two-year era where they've been successful and bring home a championship before Tata goes, before Elmeron goes. But uh, yeah, Portland. They, I mean, they they only can ruin the party. I think it's it's amazing, and this is the beauty of this league and the structure of the league that a team can peak at the right moment and find themselves in this position um, where you have Atlanta who's been doing it all year. So personally, I would like to see the better team win. How, how important is that triumvirate when you're talking about Joseph Martinez, you know, Miguel Amarone and Tata Martino? I mean, Martino, he's, he's like Caesar, you know, running the show. Yeah. Here. And he's been fat. The way he has worked everything to get success for a new team within the MLS and to have a great run last year, better run this year, and make it to the final. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's not just them. You know, the, those three guys are grabbing the headlines. But you look at Julian Gressel and, you know, the way he's played as a young player. Second year, uh, he's done fabulous with supplying service and connecting the lines for those guys. You got Darlington Nagby, mm. um, you know. Playing last, his old team. Former Portland. Former, former Portland, Portland player, player. Former Portland star. And if we, yeah, exactly. If we were looking at this last year uh, or two years ago, I mean, he was starting for the U.S. national team. He was one of the top creative players in this league. He's almost had to take a back seat um, under the radar of what he's doing at Atlanta to these other guys. Uh, Perez has been under the radar too. Gonzalo Perez played out of his mind, I think, in the last match. So if he can bring that coming in, I mean, he's going to need to, I think, to stop Valeri. Um, He's going to need to be huge on set pieces. Portland's pretty pretty successful with set piece goals so i think you know if we if we can predict this game and you never can but if we can predict portland's going to be looking for that one or two opportunity to get on the scoreboard i think and then just try to do whatever they can to stop almiron and martinez well, well, talking about Portland, I mean, one of the big issues is can you stop Valeri? You know, the way that he's been playing. We're, we're talking about the Diegos, right? You know, got Diego Chara and Diego Valeri right down the center, right down the heart of this Portland side. And if I'm going to be devil's advocate against this Atlanta team, I would say this Portland team, as you mentioned, is going to sit back. They're going to absorb. And people say, well, you can't do that against Atlanta. Well, the last time they played each other, it ended up a 1-1 tie in Atlanta. So they know how to play against this team. For me, it's going to be interesting. Diego Chara, how does he match up in the middle when he has to go up against an Almaron or so? And the big question, and, and I know you're going to giggle and laugh on this, is Diego Chara going to be on the field after 90 minutes? You know, <laughs> because he, how many times does he get close? We saw, we've seen it throughout the playoffs, close to like, oh, there's a yellow. Oh, there's yeah. another foul. Oh, is he going to? Uh, no, it, it, it almost feels like the referees pull back a little bit with Diego Chara because he puts in some nasty tackles and he does a little bit extra and he gets away with it against this Atlanta side as they have. Right through the heart, they have Almaron and Martinez that love to go at you in the open field. I wonder how much pressure is going to be on Chara to I slow th- down play. I think Alan Kelly's refereeing it, isn't he? And, and from what I've seen of him, he let it lock go. So 
well, he that, might get a few of those kind of orange cards. Yeah, well, that 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 will play in favor of Portland for sure with with Char in that in that central area. I think that's going to be a major major part of it. I mean, who who do you think is going to be? Look, we talk about the Diegos. You know, we've talked about you know the the Martinez and Almoron. Who are some X factors? Do you think that can change this game? I think if you look at both teams use their outside backs to supply a lot of service and get up. Um, Greg Garza, the way he's kind of, at times, you know, he takes the left side on, on his own and he, he gets well involved in the attack. And you can see it the same way with Portland on their right side, Alvis Powell. He gets up and supplies a lot of service. So, um, well, that's going to be an interesting matchup. And uh, welcome to the track meet. Yeah. Who's going who's to get forward? If more? you look at both of these teams, you would say both of them are very strong, have strong attacking players, right? So I think it's going to be a matter of whose defense is is not slipping up one bit. And once there's a slip, it could get ugly and, you know, decide who's got the momentum of that game. I think of those players, it's going to be, of those key players, Miguel, Joseph Martinez, uh, Nagby, I think it's going to be somebody else. I think it's going to be uh, Gonzalo Perez or somebody. I think this is going to be a very tight game. Could it be like a Tito Viabo coming off of the bench? Yeah, you know he was fantastic when he when he's come on. You know Barco, I think he he was uh, pretty good as well. They have ridiculous t- attacking yeah. options. Well, 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 there you go. Look at look at the benches for you know for these teams. There's pretty fantastic players that that give you options and ability to change how you play the game and have been impactful, you know, throughout. Let's not forget for Portland, we're not, not talking about the bench, but uh, for Blanco, you know, he's an X factor in there. He can do something absolutely fanta- fantastic for the side. And since playoffs, he's been great. Three goals in the last four games, yeah. you know, for Portland. So he has stepped up ab- absolutely. For me, I think it's going to be a player. It, it, there's going to be a lot of questions for him in Portland because he's going to have, a lot to do if Portland decides to sit back. When you when you are a team that sits back, you have to be able to play out. And for me, it's going to be Jeremy Ebabisa. Can he hold on to the ball? Can he allow uh, his teammates to actually move forward? Can he allow Valeri and Blanco to get in those forward positions by holding on to the ball and connecting a pass? If he loses it right off the bat consistently, they're never going to get out of their own defensive third, and I think they're going to have consistent trouble you know, all the way through. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to be ridiculous. And that crowd, it's not an X-Factor in the sense it's its unknown, but this has got to be the most disproportionate home field advantage in MLS Cup history, right? It, it will be because it will be the, the largest crowd, and you're going to have over 70,000, and like you said, 1%, maybe 1.5 going to the opponent. So, yeah, uh, up until this point, it was the 2002 um, final, which I was in. It, it wasn't under the system where the home team hosts, but it just happened to be you know, New England, it was the location and New England was playing the LA Galaxy, which, which I was a part of, and we actually won that final, and it was 60-some-plus thousand. So that yeah. was a difficult one. But you know, it just tells you, you go on the road, there are ways to win, regardless of what <laughs> the fans have to say out there. Um, another interesting situation, you said set pieces, how good Portland is on set pieces. On the flip side of that, Atlanta has been terrible, absolutely terrible on set pieces. And their fantastic play you know, during the run of play has been so good that it's it's kind of overshadowed and and put on the back burner how bad they are in set pieces. If you look 
anyone out there listening, go look at the Blast games and look at the set pieces against Atlanta, and you see, especially off of corners, balls dropping in the box, you know, right outside the six. You know, and that is, I think, I guarantee you, Giovanni Savarese, the coach of Portland, has paid attention to that, and he's going to try to make sure that Ebbabise, Valeri, whenever they get touched around that, uh, you know, that attacking third, that they go down because it's probably better to get a set piece than to continue forward on the run of play against this Atlanta side. You know, that's, that's going to be a big area, I think, uh, where, where Atlanta can be tested. I think it's, it sets up perfectly because you have this Portland team who have been good on the road, you know, in Atlanta, as beautiful as that environment and stadium is, they haven't been exceptional. They've been decent, but haven't been exceptional at home. So, um, I think it all sets up. It's it's such a it's a close one. You know, you can't really say it's going to be all Atlanta because when you look at these stats of how they've performed over the years or over the season, it's gonna be it's gonna be close. Is there a question mark over the mentality in the the one time they've really been tested at a pivotal moment, going for the shield, that they fell at the last hurdle? Well, I, I think the only time where you could say where they failed was when they played Columbus, you know, the previous season, and, and they ended up getting knocked out, you know. But, um, you know, the the big issues for Atlanta, I, I, I've i said it before, I think is set pieces. I think it's how Almarone plays. If Almarone plays well, it opens up everything as well. I think the, the defensive efforts, communication is going to have to be important from Michael Parkhurst in the back, you know, making sure that he – being the brain of that defense has an idea of where Valeri is at all times. That's going to be extremely important. Um, but for me, as you as you said, Tim, it 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 truly is a good setup because you have this Atlanta team that likes to attack. I feel that they are going to feel confident that they can attack because of how they played against uh, the Red Bull and took it to them and put three on them. And Portland will kind of play similar to how Red Bull played and sit back, absorb pressure. But I think they have a better understanding of how to do it because they've done it before and they've gotten results from from it. You know, So Portland will sit back, be a little bit more aggressive when the ball comes into their area, and I think they'll be better. They will be better than the Red Bulls on the counter. You know, When you got Diego Valeri, he can hold the ball. He can make things happen with Blanco and Ebebise running off of him and joining into the attack. So I think this will be a, the perfect MLS Cup final, perfect setup. And Atlanta are already uh, planning the parade. Oh, boy, here we go. You know, there, there is a lot of talk about the curse of, of Atlanta, right, yeah, <laughs> you know, in sports. That's what's interesting. The mental side of this, Atlanta has been great, but they haven't been in too many finals. And Portland's been successful in the final. And if you look at where all the pressure is i mean is there any pressure on portland to win this no so they've been under the radar the exactly, whole process exactly where atlanta is gonna you know you fall a goal or two behind early and you have that stadium and all mm. your fans there where how do these players react we don't know yet so um it'll be interesting but i'm yeah i think portland has every shot at taking this yeah, this can go either way. This can go either way. I, I said, look, Atlanta is the favorite. They have everything going in their favor. 
home field, the fan base, the amount of goals they scored, their record, the talent, you know, but they're going up against a Portland side that has nothing to lose. (laughs) They don't care. They've been known as the underdogs. Everyone's rooting against them except the Rose City, (laughs) you know, so and they have Diego Valeri, you know, so and, and I love the fact that we are having last year's MVP going up against this year's MVP head to head in the final. So uh, statements to be made all around. All right. That's going to do it for part one. Join us after the break when we'll be discussing U.S. men's national team finally appointing a head coach and what that means for his former club. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, American Edition. For sales and advertising, please contact hello at muddykneesmedia.com. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Totally Football Show American Edition. Tomorrow is, of course, decision day for Atlanta and Portland. But one decision that has been rumbling on since the last MLS Cup final has finally been settled. Greg Berhalter was confirmed as the new U.S. men's national team head coach. So what will the U.S. men's national team look like under his reign, and where does that leave the Columbus crew? That's the big question, right? We've got the best unkept secret of all time was just revealed, right? (laughs) Greg Berhalter was hired on as the U.S. men's national team coach. One of only two people interviewed in a 13-month process. Was that how it went? That's what I heard. Yeah, I I mean, is that right? Is that right? I mean, you've got to... I think you have to look at more. I have to think that there was more people that were interviewed or looked at or considered than just two. I think there was. um, And I think a big part of this process unfolding in the public is we've seen the time go by, but it hasn't been, there's been no transparency with what's happening behind the scenes. There hasn't been a lot of information of meeting with more than the Greg Berhalter. And I think Perea Perea was the other one. So, um, we got to give them more credit. There's, you know, probably been a lot of talks and discussions with former players, current players, but... Uh, well, we know from Lupitagi that they weren't open to to everybody, so... But now we look at it, and it's like, okay, it's been 30 months, and this guy has been here from the beginning of discussion. What's taken so long to qualify him mm-hmm. as the ideal choice? I think from an outside fan supporter looking on it's the 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 amount of time it took him to make this decision doesn't make it very exciting it doesn't make you overconfident okay this guy's going to change it um well well, that's the disappointment right that there's the disappointment is that it took so long that it should have been done beforehand maybe before the season started get somebody new in there but the the question is yes it took a long time but the more importantly, is it the right decision? That that's the big question. Is it is it right for you that, that we have Greg Burhalter in there rather than somebody else, or does the the whole process of maybe not looking at others bleed into that answer? I think it's it satisfies a lot of people's desires to have a U.S. coach who's familiar with the MLS, who's familiar with the players, um, and in almost not try to do what Klinsman did is create a whole new. Uh, culture to the team in U.S. soccer. That's encouraging. But when you look at Greg Berhalter's success as a coach, not as a U.S. men's national team player, but as a coach, 
we haven't seen anything crazy, you know? It, it, it's been good in Columbus. He had a little bit of time in Sweden with Hammerby. That didn't end exceptionally well or with any championships. So where is he 100% qualified to take U.S. to the next level beyond what any coach currently has? He's almost qualified um, by default as a lack of other candidates or, or obvious candidates. In England, when Gareth Southgate was appointed, it was a strange situation because his predecessor, Sam Allardyce, had <laughs> put himself in a bad situation and, and lost that role after after one game. And that didn't excite anybody in England. Yeah. But he had a vision. He'd been part of the FA setup for a long time. So he was familiar with and had been part of implementing that vision throughout the, age, uh, the, the youth system. Mm-hmm. And now he's doing great. So we've got to give... But hold to the uh, benefit of the doubt and assume that he has a vision and that the uh, U.S. Soccer Federation have bought into that and and you know are going to provide him with the tools he needs to execute it. But the jury's going to be out for for quite a while. Yeah, I mean, if anything, he seems like a guy who might be able to you know get a group of guys motivated. Um, you know, he understands where they're at but we'll see what you know what whether when it comes to tactics and formations and style of play I don't you know I I'm not encouraged we're going to see anything super special or super different than what we've already seen and how did Columbus fans feel knowing that behind the scenes as a distraction throughout the playoffs their manager has very likely been in contract discussions with another job well that's going to be the big question right I I think that's probably part of the reason that a lot of these announcements took so long you know you're, you're, you want to allow a coach to finish off the job that he's doing at the time but yeah without a guarantee a guarantee pretty much 99 percent, there were talks going on way before this and, and getting into what you talked about a coach having an understanding right that's that's important and you, you have to assume with greg burhalter he's been within this u.s soccer system for years he has family within the system so he knows what's wanted, what's the expectations are. So I'm going devil's advocate as I'm hoping and praying for U.S. soccer in the future that Greg knows what's needed. He has international experience as a coach and a player, regardless of if you think it's been positive or not. He understands the American player as he's been one. He's coached them, you know, and he's been on the U.S. national team. So he understands what the players at that high level want and what the expectations are going to have to be put upon those players and hopefully as a player how you can strive the the big question for me touching on that Columbus and national team aspect is how much of his staff is moving with him right is it his entire staff as we saw Bruce Arena do or is it is someone going to stay off from his staff and stay on at, at Columbus and how important was that person if he does stay to Greg's success. Well, speaking of Bruce Arena, he's been linked with the GM job at Columbus now, so a little bit of managerial merry-go-round. It's amazing how all this happens, right? Who do you <laughs> see going over from that Columbus bench? I, I mean, I, you know, going with Greg Berhalter, you, you know, that's interesting. I, I One of the players that really stands out for me, Josh Wolf, right? Yeah. Now, I think he's a player that has been at that played at the highest levels i think and he's coached you know under greg for quite some time i wouldn't be surprised to see him putting his name in the hat 
to actually be the coach of the Columbus crew rather than go with the national team. I think he's probably ready to make that jump as a head coach into MLS. Does he have the players to play the type of system that that you think he'll want to implement? Uh, Greg Berhalter? I think so. I, I, I mean, look, he has said that he wants attacking soccer. Or we want possession when we need to. He's, he's saying all the right things. He's saying the typical things that every coach says. Uh, what What is different about head coaches at the national team that people have to realize is that it's not um, like the club level. You get to pick and choose week in, week out, and take your time to decide who's going to be uh, on your squad to play the way you want you don't go into a situation and you're just like oh man I got to deal with these players and find a way to make it happen maybe I can buy and sell here and there over the next two years no you go in you look around the world and you're just like okay I got a couple of months here where I can see all the players yeah he's no good anymore he's not good on in my he's good but he's not good in my system uh this so you pick and choose who you want so however Greg wants to play He's going to find the players. I think right. the only big difference may be who's on the in and who's on the outs. Exactly. Because if you, <laughs> if you look at this national team pool over the last couple of years and current players who are still you know, in the running for spots, you had Bruce's guys, you had Jurgen's guys. You know, Jurgen opened up the German players pool and all that, brought them in. Sarakin was able to bring in all these young kids and almost created this different look of of a U.S. national team. Who's going to be Greg's guys? Who's going? Who, you know who who are his favorites? Who's going to be coming into camp? Who's the new guys coming into camp? And who does he leave out? You know. Well, I think you'll see a lot of players that happen to be playing at Columbus Crew might be uh, hey. <laughs> find their way onto the. because <laughs> it is Higuain, get that get that <laughs> yes. switch. It's about who the coach has trust in. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you come from a club team where you've had success and you've seen players for a couple of years, there's a guarantee a couple of players are going to be coming in th- through there. If you, I mean, it's all well and good saying that you want to play possession football, but at international level, when you're going to go up against top tier teams. You have to have those technical midfielders to keep possession, and U.S. aren't blessed in that respect. So hopefully, you can improve players. And like he, like we spoke um, last week, he's improved Zadis, and that should be encouraging for uh, for the, for the squad overall. What can he do with these players coming from other teams? That that's not his job. To improve it's not team. his job to improve players. You know that he's a national team coach now. It's the job of the clubs to improve those players and let them go. His job is to make sure that the players play well together. There's no time when you go in three, four days before a game to say, okay, let's work on your technical ability. I think you, U.S. soccer and American players now are at the level where it's just like, okay, you, you're not doing this right. You're not back in camp. Bye. Yeah, you know that, That's where we are now. One thing we've faced as a country is – we have players who, you know, do well, earn that move to Europe, and you have a, a forward who's sitting on the bench or has, you know, minimal goals on the season, and then you have a Chris Wondolowski in the MLS who's lighting it up. People aren't saying he should be the guy leading for the national team because we still got our, our money on Josie or we still got our money on Christian or Bobby Wood. or So I think he's going to have to make some hard decisions with that and how he takes – you know, the pool of players who are successful in MLS, the Giassis, the, the Wondolowskis, you know, the guys here, the Reggie Cannons at Dallas, or do we go with that safe public pick of Yedlin? You know what I mean? There's going to be how does he weight 
a European player compared to an American player because statistically you could score more in the MLS than you are in the Premier League or in Germany. Yeah, I, I would go, I think he's going to have the toughest decision that all coaches have to make. What What is the weight of playing day in and day out in MLS and, and being successful and competing mm-hmm. or being in Europe and sitting on the bench? Well, that's going to be a question play. for Stefan. Uh, and Columbus. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, that that's that's a huge question that every every national team coach has to weigh, and you're gonna ha- you have to balance that out. I think it's very hard. if Stefan, you know, because it, it looks like he's going to make that ten million dollar switch to City, and it seems to be that he'll end up playing for uh, Per Guardiola's uh, Girona team. If he is on the bench at Manchester City, because there's no way the guy's going to displace Edison for ten years, maybe. Uh, do you pick him for the national team or? Well, it depend- I mean, if he's just sitting on the bench, I I think goalkeeper is always a little bit different. If he's just sitting on the bench, I, I would bring in a player like Stefan to get experience as maybe the second team. Uh, or if it's a game that doesn't have import, you know, I might bring him in for one or two. But if he's just he's not going to be my starter, you know, going into big tournaments or anything like that. You have to have competition. You have to be competing day in and day out. Now, don't get me wrong, everyone out there screaming, well, well what about, look, if you're at Man City, okay, City much, I understand where if you are at a top club, okay, but if Stefan is somewhere, if he's loaned out somewhere and then he's sitting on the bench somewhere, no, no, but it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. And I think, I think one thing we could take from what Berhalter's already said in the media is, that's his plan moving forward. You know, he's not taking people because of what clubs they're at. The first threshold is who's playing and who's playing well at those clubs. And if you're if you're playing and you're getting minutes, you're in form, you know, then ideally you're in the selection for the national team. But that's one thing I think hopefully we've evolved out of as U.S. soccer is we're not just saying, oh, he's over here. Okay, he's for sure in the lineup. Yeah, but there's going to be a, a lot of opportunity for <laughs> Greg Berhalter to look at, you know, you know, the, all the varied players. But we got a lot of players that have moved. You know, we talked about Stefan. He's one that has moved over. You got Tyler Adams. You know, he went from Red Bull to Red Bull. <laughs> he's yep. done that Leipzig uh, transfer. You got Chris Richards. I mean, that's someone that will, will – that's – Will amaze, I think, because his story is absolutely ridiculous. Alabama, from <laughs> Alabama, eighteen-year-old, you know, FC Dallas. You know, I, I still don't know how FC Dallas got this. So two, got this two teams of te- you know? so he's been in Alabama. He's at Dallas. Did you say he was with the, the Houston uh, for a while? The, the Houston Texans yeah. uh, soccer club academy. Think, uh, you know, so just just moving through the whole system, fi- found himself at FC Dallas, and then. Tim, you you got more information yeah, on this. It's it looks a little like, bit of a strange it looks situation. Like, uh, you know, we've I've seen it before where, you know, primo talent from Alabama gets wrapped up by Texas clubs and then um it looks like he you know, he didn't have an extreme amount of time in the Dallas system. He was there for a year, looked successful and got a homegrown deal, but um it's it's a little up in the air from what I've been able to research that FC Dallas couldn't add him to the roster. They have this new partnership with Bayern Munich. What an opportunity to send a player over because he couldn't fit on our team. Goes to Bayern, impresses, does well, and now Bayern wants to complete the Well, this deal. is a homegrown U.S. player who's gone through two MLS clubs and, and you know, good enough to play for at least 
Bayern under-19s, but but potentially the first team. And he's moving for 1.25 million, which is nothing for a club like Bayern to invest in a, in a youth player. How I mean, there's got to be a flaw in those MLS technicalities to allow that to happen. Well, he he went through one MLS club. Sorry, one, yeah, one. one, one MLS club. But yeah, there 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 has to be some issue. And when we've talked about this, it's almost like. Teams from overseas are snapping up young talent when and where they can because throwing out 1.5 million or something to take a chance on an 18, 19 year old that has talent—that's a no-brainer. Well, well, even what, as a marketing cost to appeal to the U.S. audience, it's what, nothing. You yeah, know, exactly. One question I have is: is it is it in the system the way you know coaches here in the MLS they don't get rewarded too much for developing? players are given that homegrown a shot they need to win in the moment otherwise you're gone whereas maybe Bayern because of their resources and other you know other parts of their club that are so successful they might have the freedom to say we're going to take a little longer on this one and see what he develops into and put a million on him yeah I I completely agree the resources matter because for MLS it seems like it should be okay this is a talent let's give him a very good contract and let's loan him out if we can you know if he's 18 90 and and not okay we're not just going to loan him anywhere to a usl team Mm -hmm. yeah well well i'm saying can we loan him out overseas Mm -hmm. you know look what fc dallas did and and that's one of the reasons when we talk about and we can we'll get more into this at some other point when we talk about a mls teams that have academies the ones that have been known to have the best system set up which one is always considered the top, the first and the foremost is FC Dallas. Yeah. You know, and they have it set up just right where they found a way. But I think they've attained that title as the top academy based off of how many of their products sign overseas, how well they do at the academy level. I mean, FC Dallas's academy wins academy tournament, you know, so they put together these great teams. But what's the success of an academy? Is it the championships that those academy and reserve teams are winning, or is it players producing for the first team like New York Red Bulls? I, I would say it's a lot. I, I think it's about creating a pathway to the professional game, and and for me, a successful academy. And I know there'll to be to the teams, professional game or to your specific professional. Well, team. ideally to your team, mm-hmm. but ultimately, you know, to sustain that that project, if you draw in revenue in from moving those players on, then yeah, you have to look at it as some kind of success. Yeah. But yeah, the the dream is that they go on and represent your hometown, and mm-hmm. you know. But unfortunately, that's less and less. Yeah, but the the pick it should be the latter. It should be how New York Red Bull do it, where you have them in your academy. They help out with your first team and your success there. Now, the nature of the business is you do have to run a business there. You do need to sell some of them off to make money. But you know, for me, it's about the game. Can you have someone come through your system all the way through? I think the long run, that's probably the most beneficial, you know, to your side. I think there's a big difference in that. So the Alfonso Davis deal where you're seeing $22 million in add-ons go to an MLS team for a homegrown guy is much different to the 1.25 or the kind of weird Richards deal with Red Bull where there's a huge sell-on fee and nobody's quite sure what the money is. Mm -hmm. Because then you're you're allowing another league and their teams to asset strip. And these are top teams, you know, these are Bayern and Dortmund who are elite teams. So they're obviously seeing something in the talent here. So to allow that, that what is starting to become a little bit of an exodus of youth talent, homegrown youth talent for minimal money, that's a problem. I think, and you put it in a good way, an asset strip. The difference is 
you know, Alfonso was able to give a lot to his team for a couple of years, to the fans. He was able to show himself. You know, we haven't seen this kid in Dallas do anything for FC Dallas to where it's like, okay, you know, so it's a, it's a bit of a mystery. And, um, you know, you hear it all the time in Europe, Arsenal poaching Barcelona Academy players. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's a little bit of controversy if, if that's the way we should be going after young kids like this. Look, as a, as a supporter of MLS, I don't want to see this happen. As a supporter of our national team, I do want to see it happen. So <laughs> conflicted, yeah, it, you know, and 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 that we'll get into that later. The difference between MLS and you know U.S. soccer and how everyone's on the same page here, but yeah, well, welcome to the welcome to the <laughs> business of soccer. Welcome <laughs> to the new world and how it's done. Uh, that that's just the nature of it when it comes down to it. Um, on the on the subject of U.S. soccer, we have something going on. Um, PJ, you got this where it's the U.S. Soccer Foundation versus the U.S. Soccer or U.S. Soccer, U.S. Soccer Federation. You tell me which, what's <laughs> yeah, going it's on. Confusing. It's confusing. It's USSF versus USSF. So, you know, seeing, you know, USA versus is better kept on the field for a match rather than in, in, the, uh, uh, in the legal system. So it was reported that there was a meeting uh, last week, I believe, where the U.S. Soccer Federation told the foundation that they don't want to work with them anymore, they want to cut ties, and to for the foundation to stop using the name and the logos. And subsequent to that, the foundation, to protect its existence, really, uh, and certainly its IP, have now launched a lawsuit against... USSF. So <laughs> it's a little bit of a, if you if you got um, this you're better than me. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's very hard to ascertain what the motivation uh from the federation would be. You know, it, I mean, it it has to come down to money and it, I'm not sure where the benefit lies in stopping a functioning organization, you know, have been invested over 125 million dollars over the past 20 years in in grassroots soccer. Um but I guess in U.S. soccer, wherever there's money, there's conflict, a lawsuit, politics. So, yeah, we'll have to we'll have yeah. to monitor how that one unfolds. I think, yeah, with that, I, it, it's it's probably a where you know we have all this resource. Where do we spend it? Mm. And you know, some people probably want it spent on the top, and some people think, you know, let's let's go on a grassroots and invest into communities throughout the country. I think it's a state of U.S. soccer right now is where we're fighting each other and we, you know, we all need to get on the same page and have one direct plan um, that works from the national teams to the MLS down to the grassroots. And it, it's politics. Can we all just get along? <laughs> Let's play the game. Um, all right. This week also saw the draws for the She Believes Cup and World Cup for the U.S. women's national team. Mm -hmm. It's a tough schedule for the USA, as we see in the She Believes uh, that they are facing Japan February 27th in Chester, Pennsylvania. They're facing England. Uh-oh. Watch out, PJ. Watch out. <laughs> March 2nd in Nashville. I might have to get to that one. That, I, I still have not been to Nashville. I'm excited to go there. Oh, you're going to go. Yeah. 
Oh, you've been there a few times? Oh, I've... I've oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we know where PJ stands with that. He's had, he's had some good times in Nashville. And March 5th against Brazil in Tampa, Florida. And also beyond that, and you're you're getting a little bit of a month break after that, and then you're going to see some games in, against Australia, South Africa, Mexico, and still one TBD out there. Not... Not a light or easy schedule. No. And before the, that, they play France and Spain in friendlies. Yeah, so. geez, hello. Not an easy schedule leading into the World Cup. So they are definitely gearing up and getting ready to go. And uh, the World Cup draw, I think, is tomorrow, right? Yes, the World Cup draw is tomorrow. So that, so that should be exciting to see the matchup for the U.S. there. They'll definitely be ready for whoever they're facing with that schedule. Um, all right, PJ, you have a question from a listener. I do. Um, this listener was via Instagram, and it's an, a certain... At El Cecilmon. Oh, I wonder. <laughs> I wonder who that one. Who's that? And she asks, "How much do you miss Cess?" <laughs> I, I, I t- is, is that for me or is that for you? For everybody, for I guess. Uh, I, I, I totally miss. It's not the same show without Cess. No, we, we miss it. Look, Cess. I had the lime here today <laughs> from the west side, so that's true. Come back soon, please. This guy took oh. an electric scooter, what, ten miles? Oh my gosh! It was about thirty minutes. Yeah. thirty minutes on the scooter. That and, and, and Sess, very we need cold you here. weather. Sess, we need you here. <laughs> um, I, interestingly, I actually looked up Sess on UrbanDictionary.com, and there's some really interesting definitions of yeah, bro. You didn't know that that little nickname the. No, well, so much of U.S. culture is is new to me still. So, yeah, you never spent time on the playground. Um, <laughs> Everyone's going to be looking that up now. What does cess mean? <laughs> I'm not going to end on that note. I'm going to end on for everyone to watch, be excited, talk about what is going to be happening tomorrow with the MLS Cup final mm-hmm. in Atlanta. Records are going to be broken all the way around. The Diego Storm is actually supposed to hit Atlanta on Saturday. And I'm not talking about the Diegos <laughs> and Diego Valeri and Diego Chara. They're actually the weather storm is supposed to hit that. So we're, we have to find out what the stadium is going to be doing there, probably closed and making sure that that field is everything is yeah, absolutely perfect. Because, Tailgates right? probably aren't, aren't going to be great that uh, day. Oh, you don't know how they do it in the ATL, bro. <laughs> yeah, they like to have a good time regardless. Just put up a tent. You're good to go. You know, that's what you get. You got 70,000 plus. I guarantee you there's going to be some type of tailgating celebrations in the ATL. Yeah. You know? Hot Atlanta. All but right. Before we leave, Kobe as oh, well. He's we always sh- got one I know, thing. I'm sorry. <laughs> but we should mention that Christian Pulisic uh, finished runner-up to Kylian Mbappe in the... Uh, Copper Award, which is a, a sort of golden boy equivalent or replacement to the best under-21 player, which is, uh, there's a lot of competition for that, so it's, it's good going and good recognition of where he's at in what, what's been a little bit of a difficult season with, you know, not being an automatic starter at Dortmund, so. Yeah, a lot of transfer speculation, but this should help. Don't go to Liverpool, Christian. Well done, kid. <laughs> well done to Christian Pulisic. You know, the future of uh, U.S. soccer. One of the futures of U.S. soccer as we look at all these players. You know, give a shout-out to Pulisic, to Tyler Adams, probably this Chris Richards as well. We, we saw how he did in the uh, CONCACAF uh, beating Mexico, you know, and that, and that significant uh, win for the U-20s. Um, mm-hmm. th- there's a lot of top talent, you know, coming up for U.S. soccer. So I think the, the future is bright there. Making the decision... Easier, but also harder for Greg Berhalter as the head coach. I I think it's great. A lot of young talent. All right. Thanks for joining us again on the Totally Football Show American Edition. 
Stay tuned. MLS Cup final coming <laughs> up. All right. I'd like to thank Tim, whose handle is at twalsh.88. Thanks, guys. PJ, who you can find at Harry Vision. Yeah, thanks, mate. See you on Monday. And are you going to give a shout out still? Still, we got to get El Sussman, you know. Yeah. Uh, what's up, Sess? <laughs> what's up, Sess? <laughs> and, um, uh, and a reminder, you can follow myself at Kobe Jones 13 and the show at Totally American on Instagram and at TFS American on Twitter. We're all off to fantasize about being in the ATL tomorrow. Hotlanta. What a final that will be. And good luck to both teams. <laughs> <laughs>